for his home. <clears throat> well, today we're going to end our diving into the book of Colossians. It's been a great, great dive for me. I have to say that I've never really studied Colossians as deeply as I have this time. Even in seminary, we just kind of breezed through it, and I thought, well, that was just a whole lot like Ephesians, you know. And uh, I'm not the only one. Pastor Michael and I were talking today. He said, yeah, I, I kind of did the same thing. Colossians, y'all, is, is a colossal amount of information on how to live out the Christian life. Uh, that's what we've been studying in it. The great themes of it, just so you can write this in your Bible, is the Lordship of Christ. I don't think there's any more definitive scripture that says that Jesus is God. Remember when Paul says that the whole fullness of the Godhead was in him. So there's no doubt that Jesus was God. He was God who came in the flesh to walk on earth to die for you and me. And then the rest of the book talks about his sufficiency in meeting the needs of our life. Needs in every area. This book has taught us a lot about how to love one another and how to give each other a pass and how not to give each other a pass and this sort of thing. And we're going to kind of review some of that today, but we're going to end up focusing in chapter four. Remember, we started off where it warned us of legalism. Do y'all remember what legalism is? Legalism is man's tendency to get into a list of do's and don'ts. You know, I, I make a joke out of it. I don't, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. Kind of an example of some legalistic kind of a thing. And we learn that Paul says legalism has no power in it. The Christian life is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is, a, it is learning to trust in Jesus. That's living out the Christian life. We become Christians when we put our faith in him. As I said, the first half of the book proclaimed all of the fullness of God is found in Jesus. So it's funny when I'm out praying or something, I just think, you know, Lord Jesus, help me at this moment. I'm literally speaking to the God who hung all of the planets in orbit, who created all of the solar systems, who sees it all. He's the God of all, and he's the God of my heart, and that's just so precious. Then the second half addressed attitudes and conduct in every area of the Christian life. Man, I'm going on faith. This is so cool, y'all. Jason has coupled this together where now I don't have to press two buttons. Thank you, Jason. We don't ever thank Jason. Thank you, Jason, uh, for doing that. And, uh, and I really appreciate it. It makes my job easier. Wednesday night, we talked about husbands and wives, and I'm going to review that a little bit. We talked about children obeying their parents. We talked about the, and this is all Christians. I'm not talking about pagan wives or pagan husbands or pagan employers or pagan employees, but the way the church is to conduct itself with one another. And then today, we're going to see that this Lord Jesus, that the Lordship of Jesus and his sufficiency in meeting all of our needs is there. And Paul ends, it's so funny, I, I'm ashamed of myself, but I'm also glad that it happened to me because yesterday I was thinking, what's the big idea? What's the big theme? I was taught never preach a sermon that you don't have the big idea, and I did, you do not have it in your bulletin. First time in seven years, there's no big idea, because the Lord showed me the big idea in the middle of the night. And he did it on purpose, because I, like all of us, didn't think prayer was the big idea. Prayer is the big idea. We can come and do all this, but if it's not been bathed in prayer, that bulletin doesn't have prayer all over it. It's just acts of the flesh, and it's works. That's all it is. 
Last Sunday, we talked about our identity in Christ. You guys missed that. It was incredible as we looked at who we are in the Lord. And we saw that I told you all about my experience as a McMullen growing up. My dad taught me in terms of my identity. There were certain things that McMullens just didn't do, certain things that McMullens did. And uh, like, you know, instead of my dad saying, don't lie, he would say, McMullens, don't lie. And he tied my behavior to my identity in my family. And it's so much like the way the Lord does. Our behavior is tied to our identity, Taunt Rita, in Jesus. You are living out who you are. You are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I taught you all the principle that I use from 1 John 1, 9 of rebooting. We as humans find that we end up walking in the flesh and we need a way. We need a way to get ourselves back on God's path, right? He never leaves us, but we kind of stray away from him. And so I gave you all instruction on how we say, Lord, I'm agreeing with you that I've done these things. Lord, I thank you for forgiving me. Forgive me again. He's forgiving us past, present, forgives us future. And it's a rebooting to get back in the game and not be sidelined. So many Christians don't know how to deal with sin, so they just stop coming to church. Well, I can't get myself straightened out. You'll never get yourself straightened out. You have to let the Lord straighten you out. And then on Wednesday night, we talked about a God's plan for the family. And I talked about husbands and wives, parents and children, and examples of the workplace, really picking on the employer. And some of y'all weren't there. So I want to dwell on that a minute so I can pick on you, you uh, employees, pick on employees this morning. Wives and husbands are held to an example that Jesus did. It's kind of interesting. We, as Christian couples, have this difficulty because our spouses are not perfect. Did you say that? Our spouses are not perfect. None of us is perfect. And yet, Paul comes in and he says, wives, he says, submit to your husbands. That means godly wives, submit to your godly husbands, okay? And I looked up that word for submit, and it meant to fall in line under a commander, to fall in line under a commander in a battle. Doug, you're in a battle for your home. You're the warrior in your home. Your job's to protect Sonia. Mine's to protect Sandy. And we're, we're warriors, as we're learning in Pastor Larry and Pastor Michael's uh, uh, class. But we fall, they fall in line under and submit that way, where they're falling in line. And the example given is where uh, we know, I believe it's in Philippians, where uh, it says, well, it's right there. Yeah, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, who, although he existed, this is talking about Jesus, in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be asserted. That means for a time period when Jesus was on earth, he did not assert certain aspects of his divinity. Do you all understand? I mean, he could have just made everybody that was trying to crucify him just evaporate, and he didn't do it. He laid those things aside, even though he was equal with the Father. He is one with the Father. And it's that way with the wife. She's equal with the husband, yet she, with this with this example of Jesus, submits to her husband. And then husbands are given this incredible challenge, this challenge of loving an imperfect wife. Loving an imperfect wife with agape love, boy, this is easier as a 66-year-old for me to say this than it was when I was 30. We were talking today. To learn to love my wife unselfishly, not trying to get something out of her, not 
expecting anything. That's agape love. Guys, that is not a natural kind of love. And you will never be able to do that apart from the Holy Spirit loving in and through you. You won't. And then the other example we have of the way that a husband loves his wife is a chesed kind of a love. That is a love that never, ever lets go. That is the, in that give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His hesed endures forever. That's what it says in the original uh, Hebrew text. Then we talked about employees. Employees today, I call them employees, back in that day would have been bond servants, people that made themselves servants for a while, paying off a debt or uh, it'd be equivalent to modern-day employees. And look at the instruction to employees. If you work for somebody, listen to this now. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, Devin, I'm sorry, it doesn't say that. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. When you're hanging lights, Devin, you're doing it for the Lord and not for men. Yeah, you have an earthly employer, but you know what? God gave you that employer. And as Pastor Larry says, God's your real employer. So you do whatever you do as unto him to please him. Yeah, we want the boss to get what he deserves for the money he's paying. But we as believers are told to to obey uh, not as men pleasers, not with eye service. What is eye service? I service is when I get busy when the boss comes around, right? You know, quick, get a broom and sweep or look like you're busy. We as employees are bound to give our best and our most to our employer. They're paying us for our time and you're doing it because God is holding you accountable. I think of that as he called me to pastor this church. There's no clock that I punch in here or punch out. A lot of y'all don't know what I do in the day, but you know what? God knows what I do in every minute of my day, and he's the one that will hold me accountable for what I have done and what I have not done as a pastor. That's really, that's a heavy burden when you really accept that and go, Lord, I just want to be in your will. Uh, the other day, I was up in Bryan, and I was taking care of a medical appointment, and all of a sudden, I just thought, I've got to go see Judy, and then I thought, no, I, I really, I need to get home. That, whoop, turn right around and go back to see Judy because that's what I'm supposed to do. We had a sweet time together, and she related to me that she said, Pastor, I've turned a corner this morning. I had doubted the Lord. I'd kind of given up on God. I know right now that I'm in the palm of his hand. And whatever happens, if he takes me home to heaven or he takes me home to Plantersville, she said, I know that my Lord loves me, my Lord lives, and I know that I'm going to live with him in eternity. That was a sweet time together. I mean, that was an amazing thing because I listened to what the Lord directed me to do in that moment. I would have missed out on that memory. Amen? And then we go on to today, Colossians chapter 4. That was all about the employees. Let's see what he commands masters to do. These are employers. Give your bond servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest. So he's writing this, remember, from probably house arrest in Rome. As I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace 
seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We're going to go into all this in a minute. Then he says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, these are Gentiles in this first paragraph, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, remember Onesimus that we met back in Philemon? A faithful and beloved brother. He's one of you. I mean, he belonged to that church there in Colossae. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. And then verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Remember old Barnabas? It's the one that Dr. Wicker called Barney, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, this is Yeshua, who was called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom who are of the circumcision. So those were fellow Jews who were there with Paul in Rome, ministering to Paul. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Colossians 4, 1 through 12. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would open our minds and, Lord, let these words truly come into the transcripts of our heart where they are written and they're certified, Lord, and they're to be used for good purpose and good use. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We start every Tuesday morning with Pastor Michael praying that the word that we're going to study will leap from the pages into the transcripts of our heart. Now, Michael's not a lawyer, so he doesn't know how that ministers to me. Because a transcript in court is what that court reporter types. That's an entire transcript. And when an attorney's getting ready to go into a trial, he orders that transcript to see what was said and to understand it exactly. And it becomes really the entire thread basis of a lawsuit. And so it's how that whole trial is going to progress. And so as these things leap off of the pages and become into the transcripts of our heart. I always think of it when he says that they're like certified copies, certified copies that get registered within me where I can count on them because they're real, because they're God's word, and they're going to change the outcome of my life. Amen. That's a hell you you like that with Michael. He goes on masters, give your bond servants what is just and fair, knowing you have a master in heaven. You know, when a person or a group employs a person, the employee must do the work, as I just said, as unto the Lord. But likewise, the employer needs to compensate them as unto the Lord. This means the people that come and clean our stables, train our horses, uh, repair our plumbing, repair our automobiles. I'm thinking of all these trades out there. Come and do these things for us. We should never begrudge them the wage that they're going to get paid, okay? And that we're to take care of them and compensate them as though we're taking care of the Lord. We do it with God again in the same way that God holds the employee accountable. God holds me accountable as your pastor. God also holds the church accountable. It holds those of us who employ people accountable. The employer that the Holy Spirit governs will understand, you know, and you hear what I'm saying there? The employer who the Holy Spirit's governing will understand that you don't muzzle the ox. That's what how Paul said it to Timothy. He said, you do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the laborer is worthy of his wages. 
This helps me. I remind myself of this, like yesterday when the farrier came and the bill just seems higher than it ought to be. But I see the danger of the work and I see how difficult the work is, you know. And I just thought to myself, hmm, the laborer is worthy of his hire. It just kind of helps because I want to treat others that come onto my property like they're never treated anywhere else because I want them to know that they're dealing with someone who has the Holy Spirit controlling their life, who has the Lord, the King of the universe, watching out. Paul goes on, and I'm just throwing this in. Uh, It's doubly true for those who are paid for Christian service. Let elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the Word. Don't worry, I'm not looking to get a raise or trying to get anything. I'm just presenting you God's Word. For Scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his hire. Paul explains in detail then why he and Barnabas worked the way that they did. Barnabas, remember, Barnabas was kind of a wealthy guy because Barnabas was the first guy that gave that land back in Acts. And then Ananias and Sapphira thought, wow, they really treated Barnabas well. Let's tell them we're going to give away a field but we really won't give it all. We'll give the half of it. And uh, so Barnabas obviously had means and had things. Paul had his own business. He was a tent maker. Some people believe that he owned a, <clears throat> not tents like you dwell in, but also that that word can be used for talits, that he made different kinds of things for Judaism, like prayer shawls. He just had a business doing something that had to do with sewing things. But anyway, Paul wrote, and he explains that for a time being, he and Barnabas, he said, we didn't receive anything so that the gospel could be promoted. This is out of 1 Corinthians 9, 12. Nevertheless, we have not used this right. He's saying the right to receive something, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. He says, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So that's 1 Thessalonians uh, 9, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 12. So I'm just putting these out here because they're part of this whole attitude of employers, employees, and how we as a church and as individuals are to treat our employees and how we as employees, and you know what, we're all employees. We all work for someone, don't we? If you don't think you do, if you're not working for the Lord, then you're not on the team, right? So we are all employees in our own way. We're responsible to the Lord. We're told to take advantage of our time, not to be time wasters, not to be clock watchers, but to be grateful for what we're doing. Realize God has put you for a period of time, put you, Diane, over there. You weren't making chairs. You know what you were doing? You were working in a field of harvest where he had you there, where he wanted you to be. You just happened to be making chairs. And uh, so you were in a field of harvest that he had you there for a season. Verse two, continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. This is kind of where I'm going to settle because here I am, the pastor of the church, trying to present something to you, and I missed the big idea. The big idea was that it is so easy to believe that the success is ours, isn't it? We think if we get the right music program, we have the right bulletin, we've got the right, you can fill in all that stuff, the right nursery. I'm not saying all those things aren't important, but none of those things will have any real eternal success or outcome unless they're bathed in prayer. 
I love the time I have with a few of you all in my study at 5.30 on Wednesdays where we bathe every facet of this operation in prayer, all right? I'm sorry, Devin, we've not prayed for you with the biscuits and jelly ministry. We're going to start doing that. I put a listing down here before. Our sermons should be bathed in prayer. Any service project we go to do, Larry, you go to repair an AC, you better bathe that in prayer or you're just working in the flesh. Our hymns that we select, the nursery, the way we set it up, our Sunday school classes, what we study, those need to be bathed in prayer. Guys, everything in our lives the Lord's impressed on me today needs to be bathed in prayer. If I get up and I give you a sermon and it's not bathed in prayer, you know what I'm giving y'all? A fleshly sales job. That's all it is. Trying to make it sound impressive and good enough that they go, wow, wow, he was really prepared. It's just a bunch of garbage. So that is why Sundays, only a few Sundays have I missed that I'm thinking of. I spend a time with the Lord when the door gets closed and the PowerPoint's been sent. And it comes and Doreen and Rochelle pick it up later and download it and get it ready. And it becomes a holy, consecrated, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit falling on me kind of a moment in my bedroom. And that is what turns a bunch of words into God's word for the day instead of just a PowerPoint presentation or a sermon that some guy wrote out. Amen. So y'all pray for me. Say, Lord, Help him this morning not to remember to bathe what he's going to say in prayer. We should pray before all our efforts happen. We should pray while all our efforts happen. We shall pray after our efforts happen. I'm going to pick on me a minute. When I first met Michael, Michael bothered me. I'm talking about Pastor Michael right here, 20-something years ago. Gracie's laughing. Michael bothered me because I was ready to get it done. What did Michael say to me? Let's pray about this first. I thought, good grief, man. We're not ever going to get anything done if you always just want to pray about it. All right? Do you all see how far God's pulled me? God's got me now telling Michael, slow down. We need to pray about this thing. We start off on Tuesday mornings, and I'm usually the one that says, Michael, you need to pray. This will leap out of the Bible and into the transcripts of our art. I've come towards you, Michael. You know why? Because in that aspect, you were closer to where the Lord needed me to be. And hopefully and prayerfully, there's things that he's pulled you towards me, maybe to get her done, right? It takes both. You got to pray about it. Then do your best. I told our kids growing up, I said, guys, and I want y'all to hear this. I said, you work like it all depends on you, but pray knowing it all depends on him. You can work your tail off. Tail is a lot. Work your tail off and never accomplish anything if the Lord is not in it. All you're doing is chasing your tail around and around, and you're doing it faster and faster. That's all that happens. Uh-oh. Okay, good. Just, it went away. The, the, is that up there still? Yeah. Anyway, it all works. I said it's all works of the flesh without prayer. Now, a word about prayer. Prayer, Paul says here, is laborious. Some of y'all are going to argue with me and go, well, what's laborious mean? It means, man, prayer can be hard work. It can be sweet. It can be precious, but it can be hard work to stay focused and intent on prayer. For me, I have certain methods that I use to pray now. I've told y'all about them where I'll put a certain song on. 
that song that we're going to sing at the end. Oh, no, we're not. The one, Take My Life and Let It Be. And I'll put that on by Chris Tomlin, and I pray every single word of the lyric. Because if I don't, and I just start praying, for some reason, I end up making a to-do list for next week. In my mind, I've got things lined out for Aaron. I've already made the list of what I need to go to Turner's Piers to pick up. Does this happen to you all? You go to pray, and it's like all this stuff flies into your brain, right? It is work to say, no, I will be intent. Lord, I want to be focused on you. Lord, I want to be listening to you. Lord, I want to be speaking to you. I want to hear your voice. It was so hard that three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had to go and tell them, would you guys wake up and pray? He'd become, and, he'd say, and he, why did he say that they should pray? Do y'all remember? So you will not fall into temptation. And, and within hours of this, the cock was crowing three times. Peter was denying him. People were running like scared dogs, Okay. They needed to pray. Jesus kept saying, wake up and pray. I'm reading from Matthew 26, 44. It says, but they fell asleep twice. Jesus had to wake them and remind them to pray so that they would not fall into temptation. He said, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It is hard work to pray, guys. Yes, it's sweet. Yes, it can be beautiful. But you just to say, Lord, help me right now to focus on you and you alone. Now, this is kind of a cool equation that came to me last night. Prayer plus thanksgiving is the antidote for anxiety. If you say, I've got anxiety, you know what? The Bible tells you to pray, and it tells you to couple that with thanksgiving and the anxiety will go away. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So pray always. When should we pray, or when should we rejoice? Always, all right? Pray without ceasing. How long should we pray? Yeah. And what should we pray about? Everything. Giving thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You say, I don't know what God's will for my life is. Why don't you try this one? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There's a funny story that Pastor Michael, this is Pastor Michael morning. I already sent him the sermon. I said, you need to make sure I'm not quoting you incorrectly. He tells this story about these two Christians going along, and one of them says to the other, so how's it going? He says, man, Under the circumstances, it's pretty good, I guess. He says, under the circumstances? What are you doing under the circumstances? Get out from under there and get where you're supposed to be. It's kind of a funny story, really, but there's a lot of truth to that. Biblical truth tells us we're not to dwell under our circumstances. It's repeated again in Philippians 4, which is, this is one of my favorite passages of the Bible, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing. Remember I told you all as my, as my company was being lost, I prayed this and I meditated on it. Be anxious for nothing. But in, uh-oh, here's that word again, Diane. Everything by prayer and supplication with what? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what will follow? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is going to guard your heart and guard your mind through Christ Jesus. Guys, this is biblical truth. 
This is why Paul is capping off Colossians. He's given us all this stuff that we're to do if we're walking in Christ. He says, as you've received the Lord Jesus, now walk in him. And he tells us all this stuff. Remember last week, it was 14 imperatives, things that we're to do or not do. And he ends up saying, and you do it, praying with thanksgiving. Prayer, guys, is the glue that holds it all together. And I'm sorry, Michael, that I didn't pray more with you when we were younger, but at least I'm praying with you now. We had such a sweet time Wednesday as Larry and Michael and I just lifted our voices to the Lord deliver, uh, together. I'll never, ever forget it, really. It was just beautiful. This bathing in prayer, guys, is the heart of Christian living. Bathing things in prayer, Tant Rita, is the heart of Christian living. Bathing your circumstances that you're going through, Marlene, is the heart of Christian living. This is walking in Christ. This is walking in the Spirit. As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. Walk in Him. Say, Lord Jesus, today I bathe this day in prayer. Lord, let my life be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my voice and let it be always only for Thee. Take my hands and let them move, Lord, at the impulse of Thy love. Hallelujah. Guys, if you don't know what to pray, get a hymn book and pull that one out. I can't listen to that in the morning without being reduced to my knees with my hands in the air saying, Lord, take me today. Take all of me. And as, as you've said before, let me just burn up in front of everybody. What was it? Something like that. John Wesley said, they don't come to see me. They come to see me just burn up in front of them. And that's what happens when you consecrate your life to him. Take it and let it be always only for thee. It's not suggested that we do these things. We are commanded to do these things. Another Pastor Michael story. So when we first started praying together, I, I started it. He reminded me at a McDonald's. He drove by and Scott came by and goes, well, what are you doing out here? This was 20-something years ago. I said, I'm reading the Bible and praying. Would you like to join me? And that's how Tuesday mornings Larry started. Pretty soon, this guy shows up from Montgomery and uh, wants to pray all the time. And he's sitting there, and he kept talking about this funny guy's name. It was Wigglesworth. Don't y'all think that's a funny name? And he would say, let us be like Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth? What a <laughs> Smith Wigglesworth was a guy from England, all right? Sounds like an English name, doesn't it? It's not like a McDonald or a McMullen or some good Scotch-Irish name. Smith Wigglesworth was so enmeshed in prayer that when you read about him, it says that people said that when he left their presence, he just had the smell of prayer on him. He smelled like the Holy Spirit. He smelled like the Holy Ghost. He smelled like prayer. My prayer today is that all of us would have that smell of prayer upon us. Amen. We would become a praying church. We have seen great things happen because we've prayed our way to this point. I'm saying let's double down on prayer, guys. Let's just double that bet and double down on it. There's Smith Wigglesworth. He smelled like prayer. Then Paul goes on to five, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. How are you walking towards those who are outside, meaning those outside of the faith? How about in this church? Are you the first to initiate a conversation to someone next to you? 
Seven years ago when we started, and I'm not saying this to bother anybody or blame anybody, but this couple came and they moved chairs and they did things and they were there at our first baptism. And, and I knew personally that they had not been in a church for about 15 or 20 years and they were given it another chance. And then they just disappeared one Sunday. They came with a friend that I know, that we know. I never saw them again. She contacted me this week and asked me if I could help her get rid of a stray dog. I said, no, no dogs. we got enough dogs. And then I said, I always have been curious why you stopped coming to the Grove. And she said, and I said, I hope I didn't offend you. And this is, this is her text she sent back to me. This isn't to bring glory to you, Daryl. She says, no way did you offend us. The congregation at that time was not welcoming, welcoming at all except the well man's family. That's the Strattons, okay? I'm not saying that to convict you. I'm, I'm saying this so that you'll know you're sitting there thinking maybe everybody around you has been here for a long time, and you don't realize some people around you have only been here two weeks before you got here. I'm serious. So initiate the conversation. If this is your second Sunday ever being here, go say hello to somebody because they might have only been here today. All right? Let's don't ever assume that. And that is the kind of attitude we're to have to those who are outside, and I would say inside, okay? We need to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, and I add inside. Step out of your comfort zone. Redeem the time. You know, one of the funniest things about people when they meet my bride is she's kind of an introvert. And I've learned over the years that some people go, well, she's just kind of a snob. They don't realize she's not a snob. She's an introvert, all right? So even if you're an introvert, say, oh, Lord, help me somehow to be able to say hello to the person next to me, even though it kills me. All right? Get out of our comfort zones. Y'all follow me? Step out of your comfort zone. And if you can't do it, then let the Lord do it in and through you. And then he says, redeem the time. That means don't be a time waster. Let your speech, verse 6, always be seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Be careful what you say. Words have so much importance. Be careful about what comes out of your mouth. The question to you is, what comes out of your mouth? Are you a negative person or a positive person? My dad had an interesting saying, one of Doc's rules. He said, every human encounter is a chance for courtesy or conflict. Every encounter. He said, choose courtesy. So I want you all to remember that. That's kind of a biblical thing. Choose courtesy. We're not always supposed to run into the temple and knock the tables over. Choose courtesy, not conflict. It, that's, that's seasoning your, your speech with grace and salt. I don't think it's just talking about not using curse words. Look to others to learn from them. Paul says, these things that you've seen in me, do these things. Try to find somebody in this congregation, and I don't know who we could look to, who's joyful. All right? And be like them, okay? Because they've got it. They understand. They understand that rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. One of you all told me yesterday, he said, I'll always remember what I've learned watching Judy praise the Lord. He said, I've learned a lot about pr praising. I've learned a lot about worship watching her. We learn from one another, you know, those things that you've seen, Paul says. He says, do those things. And then Paul ends the letter with a mention of, of unity 
about all these ethnicities. He mentioned so-and-so and so-and-so. They're part of the circumcision. That means they're Jews. He said, and others of you are Gentiles. And he's always talking about it, and I repeat it, you know, uh, there's a really only one race, and when we realize that, it's such a liberating thing. There's one race, the human race. We're all just different shades of tan. That's all we are. We're tan, okay? And it helps you to realize that. Pastor Kevin up in North Carolina, I heard him preach that this summer when we went on vacation. He said, if you see somebody that's really white, he says, you're probably down at the morgue because if you look like this, you're dead. He said, we're just all shades of tan. I think that's such a precious thing. The big idea, being a believer in Jesus erases all ethnic and racial boundaries, okay? The believer understands better than the world that we're created equal in the sight of God, and the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are all sinners who are saved by His grace. As we leave this little church in Colossae, I pray that as you have received Jesus, you will walk in Him, that you will walk in Him praying now, maybe for the first time in your life, every single step of the way. That's what I'm intending to do. Because when I'm gone, I want you to be able to say, wow, he had the smell of prayer on him. Michael, let's be like Smith Wigglesworth, and not in name, but let us have that smell of prayer on each of us. Thank you, Lord, for this dive we've had into the book of Colossians. Lord, thank you that you received us and you've empowered us. And Lord, we can walk in you in newness of life. Thank you that you've shown us the truths that you have in the book of Colossians. Lord, let us now bathe them with the sin of prayer. And Lord, that each of us in here can be directly in the center of your will. And Lord, we pray this morning for our little sister who's taught us to praise. And Lord, I pray that you would not tarry in bringing her home to you in heaven if your earthly desire is not for her to be healed on this earth. We pray these things. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.